Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Hello and welcome to Bat Chat. This is the podcast where we bring you the stories from the world of bat conservation. Today we continue in this current series with a bat worker who is creating a bat call library which will become available to the public. I'm Steve Rowe, a BCT trustee, and if you're a regular listener, it's great to have you back with us. And if this is your first time listening to Bat Chat, welcome along. Episodes are being released every second Wednesday from now through to the spring, and you can join the conversation online using the hashtag BatChat, that's all one word. As we meet each of our guests, you'll hear from people working to make a difference in the world of bat conservation. People who care about individual species, people who concentrate on one particular part of bat ecology, and people who are working with bats at a landscape scale as well as keeping up with the latest news and hearing from people in the world of bats, we hope that you'll be inspired to get involved, because bats need our help. In this episode, we're with someone who specialises on one particular part of bat ecology, specifically echolocation calls. Today, I'm back in the Churnet Valley. Our guest today, Martin Cook, was visiting the area all the way from Surrey to make some recordings of one particular bat species. So I joined him as he set up his recording equipment and got to learn more about what he's up to. My first question to Martin was what sparked his interest in bats? Well, I was always a keen birder ever since I was sort of about seven or eight years old. But, um, I mean, I was aware of bats, but I didn't really know much about them. And then round about 1997, 1998, something like that, I found uh, a grounded serotine in the garden. Yeah. Um, and in those days, well, my, my first reaction was, this bat is absolutely huge. And I knew it was a lot bigger than the, the pipistrels I was used to seeing. Yeah. So in those days, there was no internet and no helpline and things like that. So I ended up going to the library to get a book out on uh, on British bats to identify it. Sadly, it died. Well, that kind of sparked my curiosity. And then shortly after that, um, I saw a lecture advertised um, by David King. Oh, yeah. From, he used to run Batbox. Um, so I went along and I met a few people there that were in Siri Bat Group. And the rest is history, as they say. And was it that meeting with David King that got you into what you now specialise in, which I guess is sound analysis? Not really, no. That was, that was a guy who used to work for BCT, a guy called Colin Cato. And um, I always remember Colin um, contacting me and saying, oh, I've just got this fantastic new little detector. And it was one of David's. It was the Duet 
when it yeah. first came out. And he said, it means, you know, we'll be able to afford um, to, you know, record as it was known as a um, frequency division, but we can analyse the calls. So he organised um, sort of an evening at the Surrey Wildlife Trust um, training centre at Noah Wood. And we went along and we, we were recording bats over the ponds and in the woods there, and then back into the centre, and then looking at them on the computer. And it was just a complete, absolute revelation to me that you could actually do that. Uh, and I got hooked, and it's, you know, I've been doing it ever since. So why are you recording tonight's bats? We've put out something like 14 bat detectors on tripods scattered around this cottage that we're stood in front of here. Why so many detectors and what are they for? Right, okay, well, what, what we're trying to do tonight is cause what we call voucher calls. And that is when you go, you have a known bat and then you record it so that you, you, you're certain that that recording came from a particular species of bat. So here at the, um, the cottage here, which is a known Brant's roost. Yeah. So by recording the bats that are actually leaving the cottage here, we know that, you know, the, those are Brant's recordings. And then we can use those for, for helping us to do manual identification of bats, but also for training data for automatic classifiers. And what is the end aim of the project? Well, the, the project I'm doing at the moment, I mean, it, it sort of developed um, from a project that I've been doing since 2017. Um, back in 2017, myself and Kate Jones from UCL yeah. went to the States and we attended a, a week-long bat echolocation symposium in the States. And one thing that was a recurring thing at that meeting was that large parts of the world, including the UK, didn't have proper call libraries. Yeah where people could actually go to the library, download calls of known bats, and then use them. So that's what we started to do. So I started a project back in 2017, um, travelling around the UK, recording all 17 species of bat we've got. That has kind of been now passed on to BCT, and BCT are actually going to produce the website that will host the call library. Um, it's going to be called Echo Hub, and hopefully, um, well, rain, you know, conferences in October, hopefully by October, you know, we'll have something concrete that people can actually look at. That's going to be my next question, when's it, when's it out? So, I mean, why do you record that's coming out of the roost? Are the calls not more atypical compared to what yeah, users will be recording? Yeah, if, if, you, if you were to stand directly underneath the exit point and record the bats there, what you'll get as the as the bats are coming out of the roost, they they require a lot of information quickly yeah. about what is going on in the immediate vicinity of that roost. So they tend to use very short duration, quite um, large bandwidth calls, which are not necessarily the same type of calls they use. What we call search phase calls when they're out foraging, and it's really these search phase calls that we want. So, as I said, if you if you were to stand directly under the roost, the calls that you recorded would be sort of non-typical calls. Mm. So, what we do is we we start off about ten meters away from the roost and kind of work backwards. And 
What we try and do is find out where the bats actually root when they leave the roost um, and then set detectors up along the, uh, along the way. And if we can, we try and pick spots, say a spot in the open, a spot where the uh, vegetation narrows down. So we get different, uh, different types of calls as well. So that says the bats change in their environment. They're yeah, changing. yeah. If you're really lucky, you can you can get some quite nice transition calls as the bats transition from quite a long duration sort of open habitat call into a short shorter duration sort of clutter type call, and that those those are ideal really because it gives us a lot. Well, I mean, the, the object of the exercise at the end of the day is to try and record the entire repertoire, if you like, of what that bat is capable of doing. I'm not saying we're there yet, but, you know, we're, we're a good way into this thing. And we should say we're recording Brant's bats. Why have you come all the way up to the Midlands to record these? Do you not get Brant's down south? Well, we do, but, they're, I mean, I'm quite happy to say it. I think Brant's bats are the rarest myotis bat in the southeast of England, by a long way. I mean, we have far more Becksteins and we have far more Alcothoe than we do with Brant's. Um, I mean, I'm a member of Suribat Group and we've been doing small myotis bat um, surveys now for probably about six years now. And we're lucky if we catch, say, three, four brants a year. They are so rare. And particularly in Surrey, and I think Sussex is the same, we don't know of a single maternity roost. In Surrey, we've had one roost that was found by a consultancy firm and they'd sent droppings away that they found in this building and they were DNA tested and they came back as brands but there were no bats there and there were no bats there again the following year um, so we still haven't found an active brands roost at all in the entire county. Is the software going to be able to tell the difference between whiskered and brands bats and how does it make the differentiation between such minute changes between those two species well i mean there's there's two things i mean as well as doing the work for bct and ucl i've also been helped develop the sonobat software and for that go on plug it (laughs) (laughs) we measure 104 different parameters so if you think you know going back a few years when we were using some of the really kind of basic sound analysis software we could probably measure the start frequency, the end frequency, peak frequency, call duration, interval between the calls, you know, and then you're starting to really push it. So five, six parameters that you could measure. And we're now measuring over a hundred different parameters, both in sort of frequency and time domains. Um, UCL are also developing um, some software at the moment that I've been helping with. It's quite intriguing. They've gone a completely different route. I think that they are the first people who've actually tried this, but they're actually using um, pattern recognition software. So effectively like um, face recognition type software to, to, to do their analysis with. But that has got a lot of sort of hurdles they've got to jump to get that to work properly. And is that because the technology is newer or it's just so complicated? It's just so complicated because the big problem is when you record a bat is that your recording isn't necessarily what the bat was actually saying in the first place. As the, the sound from the bat, or the bat makes the call, it travels through the air to your detector, your microphone, and the higher frequencies start to attenuate in the air. 
So what we end up with are sort of fragments of coals where the top is missing or quite a part of the bottom of the coal is missing. And it, it's trying to get all these little subtle changes, not only in the bats, but also in the recordings as well. So it's going to be extremely challenging. Uh, I think, you know, to record uh, uh, to classify bats to genus level, so myotis bats and pipistrels and Victalis, should be fairly straightforward. But for the pattern recognition software to start differentiating between say, Whiskered and Brants, it is, is a big challenge for them. And you mentioned um, microns and detectors there. What are these detectors? You seem to have two different types on all these different tripods. Yeah, well, the ones I mainly use, generally because they're, they were good quality and, and relatively cheap, I use Pearsonic RPA3 detectors, um, which means that I could buy sort of six of those for the price of one more expensive detector. So it means that I've got six more chances, if you like, to record the bats. And it also enables us to um, say, put, put the detectors in these different areas. Um, we're also trialling the AudioMoth, which is the sort of $49 um, detector that was developed at Southampton University. Um, so we're, we're trialling those to see how they compare um, with the other detectors. And also tonight, I've got a couple of um, USB microphones connected onto tablets um, made by Peterson. Um, so, and there's, there's quite a, a new one. I didn't actually use it tonight, but there's a, a brand new one just come out by Dodotronic, the Italian manufacturer. And that's the first one that will come in at under £200, which is quite a breakthrough for the um, USB microphones because they tend to be very expensive. And you've got 14-odd detectors here. You know, on a typical night, I suppose it depends on how many bats are in the room, but on a typical night, how many calls do you generate or recording? It's difficult to say. Um, obviously, a big thing is, is, is whether I've managed to put them in the, in the right place <laughs> or not, um, which, you know, it's not a given. But, I mean, tonight... I mean, I don't know, there's well over 100 a few nights ago. So I'd be disappointed if we didn't get sort of at least sort of 80 recordings per detector. Yeah. But we'll just have to see, really. And how long does it take for you, take for you to go through those recordings? Are you going through and verifying those recordings, or is there software sort of doing stuff well, in the background? Well, it particularly with the audio moths, because the, the audio moths don't have a... What, what we normally describe as a trigger. Most sort of commercial bat detectors have um, what they call an amplitude trigger. So as soon as the, uh, a sound comes in above a certain amplitude, it'll switch the detector on. It'll record for a set period of time and then switch off again. Hmm. Unfortunately, the audio moths, because of the processor, don't have that facility on them. So the way we've got them set up um, for the BCT project is that we just record for five seconds and then it downloads um, that five-second recording to the SD card that's built into them for one second and then we repeat the process. So we're recording every six seconds. But what it does mean is that I've got six audio moths tonight and there'll be 1,200 files per detector. And the vast majority of those won't have any bats on them at all. <laughs> So yes, it does take a while to 
So go through them. And for listeners at home who are thinking, oh, I want to get better recordings, or they get their detector recordings home and there's lots of background noise, you know, what makes the perfect recording and what should people do to get the cleanest recordings? Well, the biggest thing are reflections. So ideally you want to get your detector or your microphone away from any sort of hard surfaces. And ideally, the, the, probably the, the, the best way of doing it is to put them on a pole or on a tripod around about two metres off the ground. And that means that any reflections that come back will actually be displaced in time from the actual call coming direct from the bat. Um, and that will dramatically improve uh, your recordings. I mean, you may, um, one of the things I've brought with me tonight, I've actually got a backpack um, mounted detector with a, a pole that sticks up out of the back of the backpack. I mean, you look a bit silly walking around <laughs> with it, but there is logic to it um, because your body acts just the same way as a tree trunk would or a, a, a car would. You get lots of reflections coming off your, your, uh, off your body. And if your microphone is close to that, the, um, the, the, the reflections meet more or less exactly the same time as the call from the bat. And you get this sort of mushy um, trail of echoes behind the calls. And really, particularly for the classification software, we really need the cleanest, best um, calls we can get to give the classification software a fighting chance of being able to come up with the correct, uh, correct ID. Which is why you've got all these detectors on tripods. All yeah, way yeah. And it, well, plus the fact it also makes them easier because I said I can just place them where I want to place them rather than having to try and find branches on trees that are in a suitable position. So, um, also when I was setting them up, I've got some small tripods and some larger, um, which are actually stu photographic studio lighting stands that you can get. So it's just to, to, to get the detectors and the microphones away, away from the ground, basically. So you're hoping that this will be launched in October. I guess the million dollar question is, how far into the future do you think it's going to be before manually identifying bats through human is a thing of the past how long before we were all doing auto analysis Ooh, yeah. well i don't think i don't think manual um certainly manual vetting i prefer to call it will ever kind of go out of fashion because with the best rule in the world um the computer looking the the, the computer algorithms will throw up spurious recordings I mean, one of the classic ones are things like social calls, feeding buzzes, um, certain types of cricket. If you're not careful, the the software thinks that that's a bat, and it will try and it will try and classify it. So there's always going to be a need for people to to manually go through their recordings, not necessarily all the recordings, but certainly some of them, to make sure that the classifiers are actually classifying proper calls for want of a better word and what do you like about i mean you've been doing it for four years what do you like most about the project well i mean i think you know it's something that hasn't been done before certainly in the uk so that that is quite challenging when, when we first started back in 2017 the thought of having to try and record all 17 bat species was was quite scary if you like but in a way it was great because it kind of pushed me into doing it it's it's like 
coming here tonight, I mean, you know, it, it, it kind of forces you into doing things. So, yeah, so it's meant a lot of travelling, though, around <laughs> to go to these different routes. Although, back in Surrey, you know, we've got sort of 14 species. Um, you know, you've got to go down to the southwest if you want to record horseshoes and grey longeds and things like that. So, and come up to back up to the northwest because originally obviously i'm i'm not from syria as most people have probably gathered by now with my accent um i'm from bolton so um it's nice to get back up to back up north and you mentioned all 17 species there which has been your most challenging species to record definitely without a shadow of a doubt gray longhead yeah uh, they were my real bogey species i've had so many disasters i went to a big maternity, what what was supposedly a big maternity roost um, down in Devon, only to find the bats weren't there when I got there. I went to Jersey to record the grey longears in Jersey and managed to pick the one week in Jersey that year that had sort of like monsoon rain and gale force winds, and that was just a complete washout. I think at the end of the week, I'd ended up with something like six files of grey longears. You know, it's just atrocious. Um, went to another roost in, in Devon only to find there were brown longeards mixed in with the grey longeards, which didn't work. So yeah, that's been, that has been quite challenging. So we've only managed to record at one roost for grey longeards. So that, that's, that's definitely, um, on my sort of to-do list is try and get some more. But for this particular project, um, with BCT, Grey longies aren't one of the, the target species. For this project, um, the main sponsors of the project are Forest Ringland. Um, so the focus is more on woodland bats. Um, so obviously the myotis species in particular are the ones we're really targeting. And finally, if people want to know more about the project or want to keep up to date, where's the best place they can go and find out a bit more about it? Well, at the moment, because the, the website is still under test, BCT haven't really broadcast it. But hopefully in, you know, in a few months time, the website will be sufficiently written, if you like, for one of the better, that, that we can actually publish more details about it. But at the moment, um, BCT are actively trying to recruit sort of volunteers from the membership to actually have a go at recording bats at their local roosts. So there's some um, equipment available. So if you contacted the BCT, um, they can give you the details then and they'll send you a set of equipment through the post and you can do some recording at your, your local roost. That's great. Martin Cook, thank you very much. we better uh, get back and help Dave finish his, roost, finish his roost count. Thank you. A big thanks to Martin for having me along for the evening and thank you to you for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you take a look at the show notes, you'll find a link to Martin's social media and our advice on bat detectors. You'll also find a link to an earlier episode, which was also recorded in the Churnit Valley, with members of Staffordshire Bat Group who are learning more about Brant's bats. 
This series, we are running Batchat's first ever competition. Children's authors Emma Reynolds and Angela Mills have kindly donated prizes. Angela has donated a copy of Bobby the Brown on Geared Bat, signed by both Angela and Chris Packham, and Emma has donated a copy of her newly released book, Amara and the Bats. To enter the competition to win one of these brilliant books, all you have to do is write us a review about this podcast, Batchats, and the two winners will be picked at random at the end of this series. Not all podcast apps allow you to leave reviews, so you can find instructions in the show notes of this episode, and please Please note that we're only able to post the prizes to addresses in the United Kingdom. The series continues in two weeks' time, but until then, I'll leave you with the sound of brown spats as they emerge from their cottage in the woodlands of Staffordshire. Now, lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on, and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well, we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mail store. The link's in the show notes. Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts. If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year, so we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app, and we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.